We've been for weeks now taking the time to discover what God has for us in the book of 1 Peter. And if you have a copy of the scriptures or access to them on a mobile device, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 13. And if you don't have your own Bible, we're going to put the verses on the screen for you. The title of my message this week is, Like Your Life Depends on It. Like Your Life Depends on It. And I want to give to you a message that's all about diligence. I'm going to preach it like my life depends on it. I hope you came to listen like your life depends on it. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, the end of all things is near. How about that for an opening line? It's like you have my attention now. (laughs) The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. The highlight of me being a kid was summer camp, for sure. Anybody else with me? Any Summer camp was a great moment. I got saved at summer camp just before ninth grade, and that was obviously uh, life-changing. I wouldn't be here right where I am today if, if it weren't for that moment and that summer camp and those people that served and the person who gave the message and the worship team and whoever organized that trip and, and rented the camp. All of those things were, were important for me. Uh, but before that summer camp, there were many summer camps before it were where uh, the highlight for me was not spiritual salvation. It was more just shooting guns and, and, and obstacle courses and, and most of all, repelling. That was, for me, like, uh, I, don't, I don't know why. It was like just you're descending slowly. Uh, but it was a big deal to, to go repelling. You would get a sign up for rec. And, and for, for whatever reason, all the middle school boys were all about that repelling life, you know? And I think the real reason why was because uh, the guy who ran the repelling tower would always demonstrate Australian repelling techniques. Now, I don't know if you, uh, how was the last time you, you boned up on your repelling, but basically you have your ropes here and, and you're, you're going backwards. You let yourself go backwards until you're completely sideways off the wall. Then you just begin walking. But it's a scary moment when you're letting the rope out and you just descend like literally off this 30-foot face or you started out on a 15-foot face, then it was 30. And if you did both of those, you could go to the 100-foot tall rock wall. 
This one wasn't like a man-made structure. It was just a giant rock. And they would, they would drive this like decommissioned military vehicle truck thing up to the top. It was a big diesel. It was, it was a disaster on the, you know, on the, on the, in the rainforest. It, every time it fired up, I just, you, you felt trees somewhere dying in the world. <laughs> just smoke chugging off this thing into the open flatbed with benches that we were all riding in, you know, suffocating through. And, and I'll, I'll never forget just, just the, every, but every year you had to repass the 15 and the 30. They didn't keep records, right? So you had to re-up. So every year it was like you had to use precious wreck hours on the 15-footer, the granny wall, and the 30-footer so that you could go back and, and do the 100-footer the again. And, and, you know, that was between that and the rifle range. That's all, all I really had interest in. It was the first time I ever shot a 22 and shoot, shooting at cans. It was just so much fun, right? And, and, and I remember those two in specific, uh, the, 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 the repelling and the rifle range, the rules were, were a big deal. You know, for the obstacle course, they'd be like, yeah, try not to sprain your ankle coming down that thing. But pretty much that was it, right? And they would just give like whatever, you know, 14-year-old scrub that was there for the summer interning, that one, you right? But the rifle range was always someone who was like a rule follower, you know what I'm saying? You know, a bunch of sixth grade kids shooting each other, you right? Or, or going to check their target while other kids are still shooting. So they, they really went through the rules on that one. It was like, okay, where the rifle, rifles are hot, no one's touching them, all, all the rest. And so you had to really listen to everything. And if you, if, you, if you played fast and loose on that one, you were getting ejected quickly from the rifle range. It was the same way with the rappelling tower. Because, you know, it may only be 30 feet, but you fall from 30 feet, not a great day, you know, especially <laughs> falling backwards off it. So the rules were, were very serious. And, and I remember we were all standing there, all of us, you know, chomping at the bit to get us to that 100-foot rock wall, get me in that diesel, you know, and, and they're like, this is a harness. We're like, yeah, we know, we know, we know. We were here last year. This is a harness. This, 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 harness, this, this harness could save your life. You got to treat this harness like your life depends on it. All right, we got it. No, no, you don't, you don't got it. You got to loop this thing through this thing. You got to double back through this thing. You see, because if this is, is a capital D, you could die. D for die, kids. And you got to turn it into a C by doubling back over. Turn that D into a C. And I'm like, hey, listen, I'm a, I, there's no one better at turning a D into a C. That was, that was all I did through high school, guys. All right, anybody with me on that? Like, I could turn me a D into a C with some prayer, right? I could get that 69 to roll over into a 70, baby, right? That was, that was what I did uh, for, for all of high school. But, but basically, the, the D into a C so you don't die, right? And, and that was a big deal. And then, and then they would introduce us to the rope. So everyone say, they literally would say, everyone say, hello, Mr. Rope. Oh, come on. Come. Say it. Hi, Mr. Rope, right? <laughs> Mr. Rope, they would say, is never to be stepped on. You step on Mr. Rope, you could grind little, little, little tiny invisible rocks into the rope, and it won't be a problem today. But then it expands and contracts and all the fibers, and eventually one day some kid from Iowa leans back on the 30-foot tall tower, and the little rock you ground into it, Billy's, Billy's falling down is what's happening. So we don't step on Mr. Rope. All right, all right, we won't step on Mr. Rope, and we'll turn our C's into D's. No, 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 D's into C's. All right, we'll turn our D's into C's and we won't step on Mr. This is Mr. Carabiner. Everyone say hello to the Carabiner. I don't want to say hello to the Carabiner. Say hello to the Carabiner. He, he, they would make us like nestle the Carabiner. <laughs> Why? Why do you have to nestle the Carabiner? We don't ever drop the Carabiner. If you drop the Carabiner, it can get a hairline fracture. It won't be a problem today. But when Billy, <laughs> oh God, I hate Billy. I want him to die, right? I just want to go to the 100-foot rock and have fun. You're ruining my fun. 
And it was this, this whole thing. Why? Because when you're hanging, when you're hanging off that edge, man, it, it was like we talked a big talk, but you get up on that 30-footer and you look back and you're like, are you sure this can hold me? <laughs> Mr. Rope, please hold me. I'll be, I'll never say another ill word against you, Mr. Carabiner, right? And, you look over that edge, you just hear the wind howling. It wasn't even a windy day. Howling wind. Is that tower swaying or is it just me? And every, you know, leaning back every single time, right? You've you got to treat those things like your, like your life depends on them. And so you don't just toss the carabiner. You just go, don't go, when you're a mountain climber, you don't go tromping on the, on the rope. You respect these things. You treat them with diligence. You're diligent at how you go rock climbing because these things are the only thing that are keeping you from falling to your death. Peter here in this passage is telling us how to guard our life and how to guard it diligently. Only he's not talking about our biological life like if you were rock climbing. He's talking about something deeper than that. And you can see that in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, the difference between our biological life and, and the life Jesus has for us. When he talks about how the thief has come, this is John 10, 10, the thief has come, and that's the devil, to steal and kill and destroy. Now, by the way, if you come back to Fresh Life Church next week, we're going to talk more about the devil in 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to find out that he's like a lion who roars to and fro on the earth, seeking to devour you. Not a great look, not a great day, but God has given us power to defeat the wicked one, to defeat the enemy. The Bible says that God has given us power. We can crush him. He'll be crushed under our foot. All right, so... Swiftly crushed under our foot, the Bible says. So we're going to learn about that next week, and I hope you'll come back. It's going to be a powerful, powerful message. Uh, but, but Jesus says, distinct to the devil who's come to steal, kill, and destroy, I have come that they may have life. That's not biological life only, right? Like if you have a pulse today, anybody, anybody have a pulse? Can you find it? You're, someone said, I do. Yeah, prove it. We got, you got it? Everybody play along here. You got, you got a, you got a, if you have a pulse... You don't need to push that hard. You're going to hurt yourself. You might stop yourself from having a pulse. Like, I don't feel it. <laughs> yeah, you, you crushed your carotid artery, pal. Uh, but that's not just biological life he's talking about. OK, you can stop. Something's like, oh, that's nice. I like that. <laughs> I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. He was talking about spiritual life, supernatural life. The Greek word is zoe, this fullness of life that Jesus came for us to experience. Peter's telling us how to guard the kind of life that Jesus opened us up to that we really get to decide how much of it we experience. So many Christians settle just for the life that Jesus gave to us, and we never tap into that abundant life. You see, it's possible, listen to me, to have a saved soul but a wasted life, to have received the forgiveness of sins, but never experienced the fullness day to day, the vitality, the my cup runs over kind of life that Jesus wants us to have. And I don't know about you, but I want to have a victorious experience. I want to enter into all that Jesus died for me to have. But that's going to take diligence. We're going to have to be diligent to experience it. And Peter carves out for us four different areas where our diligence should flash to life. And the first is when it comes to your prayers. If you want to experience that fullness of Zoe, that fullness of eternal life that Jesus wants for you, you need to pray fervently. You need to be diligent when it comes to your prayers. And that's why in verse 7, he right out the gate says we're supposed to pray. The Passion Translation puts it this way, be intentional, 
purposeful and self-controlled so that you can be given to prayer. The, the Bible actually says that as Jesus followers, we're supposed to pray without ceasing. And you think about that, and it's like, dang, that's going to be tough. Pray without ceasing. And we kind of like so, sort of think this is going to be this like never-ending prayer, right? Just walking around mumbling, oh, yeah, Lord God, oh, yes, great God. Oh, good flowers, God. Well, well done on the flowers, God. And you're like, <laughs> I'm in Taco Bell ordering. I'd like to have a burrito. No onions. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I don't like onions. There's like, hey, stop it. Just that's not what it means to pray without ceasing. You see, it doesn't mean constantly occurring. It means constantly reoccurring. I think about the difference between a text message conversation I might have with a friend who I only talk to here or there, someone that might text me you know, out of the blue. And when I get that text, I'm kind of having a conversation with them. And that's sort of a one-off, because I know it's not something that's going to happen again maybe for a couple months. So I focus on what I'm doing, and I just have this conversation with that person. And I compare that to the conversation that I might have with my dad or my wife or someone who I talk to all the time, where I'm not going to really you know, give a lot of thought to formality. I'm not going to sign off goodbye. It was great talking to you, right? Because I'm going to talk to my wife again in like seven minutes. I might call my dad to be like, hey, what are you doing? And he'd be like, I'm doing this. And I'm like, great, bye, right? That, that might be the whole call. Because I talked to him yesterday, and I'm going to talk to him tomorrow, and I'm going to talk to Jenny in about an hour, and I, it's just this constantly reoccurring thing that's going to stop and start and stop and start. That's how your relationship with God should be. There should never be this like big sign off. Well, okay then, talk to you next Sunday, right? And I think sadly for us, sometimes that's our Christian experience. We have this, this is our prayer moment. See you next hour of devotion tomorrow morning promptly at 7, Lord, right? It shouldn't be this thing that's just that, this, that you're having to come back to so much as just this thing that's always kind of going on in the background. Pray without ceasing. If you want to experience the fullness of life that Jesus wants you to experience, this victorious, this dominating, this power-packed, faith-filled life, you need to constantly give yourself over to prayer and not let it be this sort of formulaic, here's the time of prayer, here's how long I pray for, now I lay me down to sleep, right? Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, right? Whatever these, these like, what does that even mean? You see what I'm saying? Like, you know God is not like at the edge of his seat in heaven, like, what are they going to say? Oh, wow, the grub, you're welcome, you're welcome, right? <laughs> because this prayer has become this sort of glib thing emotion that we go through. It should be this way that our hearts commune with heaven, that we remain dependent on his power that he wants to give us in a given moment. Praying without ceasing. There's a connection to the power that he has for you. In fact, just a couple verses ahead, we didn't get a look at it, but in verse 3, he had mentioned some sins that we want to set aside. Now that we've come to faith and we've got passed from death to life, which is our story. Remember, our story is we were dead, but because of what Jesus has done, we now have life. Well, now there's some things that don't make sense anymore, some things that were uh, trappings of our old life. When Lazarus was raised, OK, he was dead. He raised. Uh, Jesus raised him back to life. First thing Jesus said was, all right, now take those grave clothes off of him. You see, it didn't make sense anymore to still be wearing the clothes of a dead man when he was alive. But notice that, that Jesus didn't tell them to take the grave clothes off of him until he was alive. Because as a dead man, it made sense to have grave clothes on. Here's the problem. In the church, we often get it backwards. Oftentimes, we expect dead people to take off their grave clothes. 
meaning we're hoping that the world would, would stop sinning. When we first, they got to come to life in Christ. And then we can tell them, here's how we address these things. Here's how we take off those things. We can't expect people that don't know Jesus to act like people who know Jesus, right? Anybody with me on that? We got to see them come to life. And then we'll, get, we'll, t- we'll, t- we'll deal with the grave. Let's deal with the issue of a dead heart. And then we'll deal with the, the, the mummy clothes, right? So, so as believers, now that we're alive, it's like, oh, this does not make sense to be wearing this anymore. So let's set these things aside. He mentions specifically debauchery and lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. And of course, we've said before that during the Roman Empire, it would have been nothing to go to someone's house for a dinner, and then everyone jumps into bed for an orgy, and then everyone gets drunk and goes their way. I'll see you tomorrow at work, Bob. Right? It was no big deal that this just happened. And so people are coming to know Jesus in the midst of this shocking pagan lifestyle. And it's like, hey, God's raised you to life. Now let's address these things. These things don't make sense anymore. You spent time doing those things, but now following God, let's learn to set those things aside. So why does he now connect it to prayer? Here's why I think Praying without ceasing is what gives you power for clean living. As we want to set these things aside, we need the power that's going to come from prayer. Why? Well, it's been said that if you're praying without ceasing, you won't go anywhere where you wouldn't be able to continue to pray. Have you ever been on a phone call and you start walking into a building to realize you're going to lose reception, but you need to finish that phone call? So what do you do? Oh, hold on a second. And you step out of that building so you keep your service alive. And when it's done and only when it's done, are you willing to go into that building? Well, think about this. Anywhere we as Christians lose service, or you could say anything that we would do or watch or say, any way we would occupy our time that would cause us to lose heaven's reception is something that has no business being in our lives. And so if we get but but that doesn't work if you're only talking to God once a week and you're used to a life where you're not hearing his voice. But if you foster his voice and you, you foster that little still small voice of his Holy Spirit, and you get good at listening to it, all of a sudden you'll notice, hey, as I speak these words of, hey, I'm not hearing God's voice anymore. As I watch these, as I fill my mind up with these things, I'm not receptive to his spirit. So when I'm continuing to pray, I have the power for holy living. And it's also going to give you the ability to do what you couldn't do on your own, which is to bear fruit. Our whole goal is to bear fruit. And what's fruit? The fruit of the spirit is love. And what does love look like? It looks like joy and kindness and gentleness and self-control and all those other things that are attributes of fruit. But we can't do those things if we're not connected to him. And the way we stay connected to God is through prayer. That's how we abide in him. Jenny and I had the chance to go to Napa this past year and see for the first time these vineyards that cover the hills. It's the most beautiful thing in the world to see these branches full of fruit that they didn't grow. The vine grew the fruit. It just used the branches because the branches were in the right place at the right time, connected to the right thing. And we're branches. And if you snap a branch off, you go to any of those vineyards and you snap a branch off, covered in fruit, snap it off, set it on the ground, it will not bear any fruit next year. Because the branch doesn't bear fruit. The vine bears fruit. It just used branches to do it. God's the one who bears fruit through his Holy Spirit. We can't do anything on our own. But if we're connected to him, he'll bear his fruit through us. So. So the key isn't to strain, but to remain. And if we remain connected to him, and the way we do that is prayer. And what I would encourage you to do is is mix it up in your prayer life. If you've always prayed, 
you know, out loud, pray in your head. If you always pray in your head, write your prayers out. If you always pray sitting down, take a prayer walk. If you usually take a prayer, just mix it up, vary it up. Keep it fresh, just like any other relationship in your life. But don't ever carry what's supposed to carry you. This Christian life is not like, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to try. I'm just going to die. Look, 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 look. You've been given something to carry you. You know what it looks like when you try and carry something that carries you? You look like this. Bud. Is that going good? Going good. Right here. Oh, come on, buddy. Man, that thing's meant to carry you, homie. You got you to gotta sit on that thing and ride. I think a lot of times in our Christian life, we're just dragging things around. I'm trying to do this, trying to serve God. Trying, come on, if you just would just pray and trust him, his power would flow through you. You don't need to strain. You just got to remain. When you're walking with Jesus and when you're giving yourself to prayer diligently, you watch that power flow through you. Second thing, you got to be diligent when it comes to your people. Your people. He says that we're to, above all, love each other deeply. What is he talking about? He's talking about Christian community. He's talking about the relationship that we have one for another within the church. We need to give ourselves to the relationships in the church. And this is key to us experiencing the life that God has for us. You got to approach, listen to me, your church family like your life depends on it. Above all else. That's pretty strong. Yeah, prayer is super important. But above all else, give yourself to the love within the house of God. And then he gives two different examples of what this love will look like. He says, number one, on the one hand, it'll look like hospitality. Hospitality without grumbling. That's verse 9. And then on the other hand, verse 8, he says it's going to look like love that covers over a multitude of sins. What is it? What's the connection here? Let me tell you something. You're going to experience the sinfulness of people when you give yourself over to hospitality. If you give yourself over to the community relationship that you're meant to have within the household of faith, if you really experience the power of, to experience the power of God's people, you're also going to experience the humanness of people. You're going to experience the disappointment of doing life with people. You're going to experience the days where people let you down, where people uh, aren't kind to you. You open up your home for a Fresh Life group, as so many hundreds and hundreds of people across our church do. Come on, let's thank God for the Fresh Life group leaders across the church. We have some spectacular people who have put themselves out there, are doing what this text says, and are giving themselves over to hospitality without grumbling. And they say, come over to my house on Wednesday. All of you, come on over, come on over, come on over. We're going to bake cookies. We're going to get home from work real quick and vacuum and shove everything in the closet real quick. And right, don't, should I hang my coat there? Nope, not there, right? Everything will come out. Everything will come out if you open that one. I'll put it on the guest room bed, right? So, right? Anybody been there before? You're like, no, we'll just take all those coats in here. Not that closet. That's a devil closet. <laughs> That's no good. But, but you think about the fact that we have people all across our church who recognize the power of community. The reality is coming to listen to a message is fantastic. But that can never uh, cause you to tap into all the Zoe, all the eternal life that God has for us. For that, it's got to have, you got to people up in your life who know you, who are encouraging you, who are praying for you, and who are going to 
who are going to call you out on the junk in your life. And we're going we're to be willing to encourage you uh, in, in some of those grave clothes that, that need to be stripped off and, and laid aside and, and love you through those things. It's, it's all and well to, to come sit in a, a service like this. But that's not going to do anything for the fact that there are some dysfunctional things in your life that only people up close enough to see are going to be able to, to, to point those things out to you graciously. But if you're going to be close enough for people to love you, you're going to be close enough to see the humanness of people. And you're going you're gonna to realize that, that, that they're struggling, and you're struggling. And the reality is we're all on a spiritual journey. And that's why he says, well, if you're going to give yourself to love deeply, you need to have love that can cover over a multitude of sins. Because people are, are messed up. And people are going are gonna to do things that are going to hurt your feelings. And so in that instance, as we get close enough to have true biblical hospitality and fellowship and friendship and to do life together within the house, there's going to be occasions where you could get hurt and be like, that's it, I'm, I'm out of here. Or to hear someone's issues and to run around the town trying to, to air the dirty laundry and to gossip about it. But we have to choose to do what the book of Proverbs chapter 10 says, which he, he, he quotes here and says, love covers over a multitude of sins. And where we know what's going on in your life, we're going to pray for those things and not spread them around. I'm going to protect the areas where you're weak and, and not broadcast them. You like I think about the book of Noah, uh, the, the story of Noah in the book of Genesis. Noah, man of faith, but man, he, he, he got drunk and fell asleep naked. And you're like, that's not a great look. No, it's not a great look at all. And one of his sons exposed what he did and wanted to, to run around and, and shame his father for what he had done. But two of his sons covered over his father. They walked backwards with a blanket, not even willing to look at their dad in this disgraced state. And they covered him up. Come on, let's be a church full of people who want to cover up each other's issues in a loving way to protect each other and to not try and, and make everyone feel uh, like the worst superior to them. But look, this is going to take a stretch. And that's what he says. He says, for us to love deeply, it takes a stretch. The word deeply in the Greek is usually used and reserved for a horse that's at full gallop stretched out to achieve the stride of a full gallop. You see a, a trot, you can trot like this. But for a horse to gallop, it's really got to extend itself. And I think for some of you to get into a small group and to let your church experience be more than just coming to listen to a message, basically a glorified podcast experience with others, uh, it's going to take a stretch. It's going to take for you actually signing up for that group and, and experience some, some of that and getting onto a team. And you're like, I'm not used to that. I'm just used to trying. Come on, extend a little bit. Come on. just Can you open up to a canter? Can we open it up? Love each other deeply. Let's open up our lives. Let's, let's get into each other's lives with a spirit that says, we, we don't want to be lonely. And you know, loneliness is a massive problem in our day. And the church is meant to be a place where there's no lonely people. And this world is full of lonely people. And in fact, uh, I came across an article in the New York Times about how pervasive loneliness is amongst those who are 18 to 24. And this worship experience in particular, we see a lot of people in that demographic. Of course, all across our church, it's that way. But, but, but at this evening service, we're, we're really seeing God do something really special and powerful amongst the young people of our church. And we, we hope and pray that will just continue and accelerate. And, and God will use that all across the church. But, but you know, uh, that's the loneliest age group in this nation, 18 to 24. Makes no sense. This is the most connected generation. This is the most you know, social media up to the hill. And yet it's the most lonely age group in this country, 18 to 24. Uh, Yale University did a study and found that 60% of those going to Yale currently admit they are extremely lonely. 
And so you think there's, there's just a, a lack of actual face-to-face interaction, yeah. not just, I like your photo, and here's a, here's a comment on how rad you are, but actually in your life can, can unburden your soul. Right. And I think the power of the church is this is an environment where we don't, we don't need or want anything from each other. We just hopefully can be there to care for each other's souls, yeah. to really encourage each other, to pray for each other when we're weak. And where else can you have it be this way? Where there's, there's no economic, you know, like you know, normally in, in life, we, we end up in groups with people who are like us in work, like us in pay. But here in the church, it's, it's rich, it's poor, it's tall, it's short, it's different races, different genders. We all can come together and say, hey, Jesus is awesome, isn't he? Fantastic. Isn't it hard to follow him? Totally. Struggling with this, hurting with this, and, and not need to be lonely and have a family, and have a people, and to be a part of something. And you know, it's disastrous on your body to live in a place where you are emotionally lonely. One study uh, in the article I, I was referencing from the New York Times said that it's as bad for your health to be lonely and to be socially isolated as it is to smoke 15 cigarettes a day. It has the exact same impact on you. If you're living lonely, than if you were smoking 15 cigarettes every single day of your life. It's damaging on your body to be socially isolated emotionally. I mean, think about it this way. In prison, it's a punishment to put someone in solitary confinement. So why would you volitionally live disconnected from other people that God wants to be in your life to be strong where you are weak and to pray for you and to care for you and to send text message encouragements to you and to speak out life over you and to prophesy over the dry bones in your life and say, I see something in you. I see greatness in you. God has a great plan for you. I've been praying for you. You were heavy on my heart. I care about you. I'll do anything for that, that kind of love and that kind of community. Come on, we got to diligently give ourselves over to our people. Come on, let's be the people of God. Let's be there for each other. Let's be a church where we don't have to have the fake, glassy-eyed veneers of, I'm doing so great, brother. How are you? I'm doing great, too. I sure had a great time seeking the Lord on my own this week. Did you also? Oh, I sure did. Come on. Ned Flanders was great on The Simpsons. Let's not let him be in our church. Let's, let's be a place where we can be broken and love each other to health and love each other enough to go. Not having a super great week. God's good. Having a rough time right now. And that that's perfectly fine. The third thing you need to give yourself to, like your life depends on it, is the part that God's called you to play within the kingdom of God. And uh, this it pops up in, in verse 10. He said, every one of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully using it uh, in its various forms, God's grace, Faith, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. In one translation, it says, in its manifold forms. And manifold means many-colored. And within God's house, there's so many different colors in the spectrum of how he wants to use us and, and how his life and light looks like shining from all of our hearts. And of course, we're talking now about spiritual gifts. And when it comes to the kingdom, no one of us can do everything, but every one of us can do something. We've all been given a part to play. We've all been given spiritual gifts 
and callings and a temperament and a personality. And the New Testament gives us room, and really the whole Bible gives us room to see so many different ways that we can serve God, so many different abilities that all the people of God have been given. There are four primary lists that detail the spiritual gifts, and they're on the screen. I wanted to, to give them to you, though if truth be told, you want to learn more about this, I would point you to come to our Fresh Life Crash Course, which we offer at every church. And a part of it is to take a spiritual gifts test. If you've never really, and they're not conclusive, it's not like a blood type, but it's a, it'll give you an idea, it'll give you a sense of perhaps some of the ways that God has gifted you. But none of these lists are exactly the same, and none of them pretend or presume to be exhaustive meaning that there's even more perhaps than, than are on here. And just because you maybe took a test at one point and it kind of pointed you in this direction, that doesn't mean that as you grow that God couldn't unlock some new level inside your heart and some new thing that at one season or at one point wasn't what you would say was your primary gifting. And all of a sudden, it's like, man, because the Bible actually says we can even pray for different gifting and pray that God would open up new levels inside of our hearts. And so it's a really incredible thing to realize what, what this means is all God's people have gifts. Every single Jesus follower has at least one, perhaps many different things that you're meant to contribute to the kingdom of God. And for you not to use them is for there to be a hole in the work of God, that a, a you-sized hole within the work that he's doing in this earth. And there's something there. Listen, when you, the day you were born, God saw some wrong that needed to be righted. He's, he saw some beautiful song that needed to be written. He saw some, some part of the, of the work of, of God that in his mind was going to be fulfilled. And that's why he gave the gift to you that he did. The gift that you've been given is meant to benefit the whole. It's meant to benefit the whole body. Since there's not a lot of kids in here, I'll just say it without disclaimer. At the earlier services, I made everyone plug the kids' ears that weren't in Fresh Life Kids. But uh, I'll just say it. The best sexual experience you will ever have within marriage is when you're not going into it with a mentality to receive pleasure, but when you're going in it to give pleasure. It's, Jesus put it this way, and it's not usually thought of as sexual advice, but it's always more blessed to give than to receive. You'll, you'll receive so much for the experience as you're there with a mind to serve. And so it is within the body. If you seek to use your gift to, to receive credit yourself or glory yourself, you'll, you'll never make the difference you're meant to make, but it'll always be a hollow glory. Because the Bible says to seek your own glory is, is not glory. And, and so to, to seek your own renown within the body is, is always going to be a hollow victory. So our gifts, they've been given to all of us, and they've been given to benefit the whole. They come down to two different areas in Peter's words, and that is speaking gifts and serving gifts. Speaking gifts that you use your mouth, and serving gifts where you're using your hands, and you're, you're arranging things, and you're, you're taking care of details. And both of them are to be done with all of our heart, and they're, be, they're to be done with a mind to worship. All of our heart and a mind to worship. In fact, that's what it's going to lead to. He says in verse 11, if you, if you speak, you should do it as you're speaking the very words of God. So think about that. The next time you get up to lead in your Fresh Life group and you're going to ask those questions and lead a time of prayer, you should do so believing that God is going to speak to, through you. And the next time you, God puts a friend heavy on your heart, 
and you, uh, you text them, say, hey, can we meet up for coffee? Just, just show up to that uh, coffee shop and know that God is about to speak through you. Every time you use your gift to open your mouth and speak prophecy, encouragement, you, you need to admonish somebody, you need to say some hard things, and you're going to preface it with, hey, this is going to be a challenging conversation, but I love you enough that I need to tell you. I think this is holy. You get up to speak with confidence, knowing God is about to speak through you. You're going to speak God's words, but his spirit's going to speak through you. That's what gives me confidence every time I step up on the stage, is that it's not about my personality or how unprepared I feel sometimes or inadequate I feel all of the time. It's about me knowing, hey, God's going to speak through me, and it's going to be powerful because it's his word. If you speak, speak knowing God's speaking through you. But if you serve, serve knowing it's God's energy giving you strength. Use the strength that God provides. And just like you often won't feel powerful speaking for God, but he works through it even on your worst day, I'll have times sometimes where I'll be in like the Cleveland airport, like the most random airport of all. I was like, what, what, what weird airport could I mention? The Cleveland airport, right? Someone on the internet's like, oh, I live in Cleveland. Uh, your airport's fantastic. But God will use the most funny moments like that, where someone will come up and be like, you know what sermon really touched my heart? And they'll just pick like the most obscure sermon and like be ultra specific with it, which, by the way, is really, really encouraging when it's like, this message touched me. And sometimes I'll just be like, God, you have such a sense of humor. Because I specifically remember that just feeling like it was the worst sermon ever. And I walked up the stage, shoulders slumped over. You're like, I'm never doing this again. I, I quit, right? It's like, I have quit a thousand times. You don't even know, right? <laughs> But you think about how, like, it's not about how you feel. It's about whether you're faithful. So, so God's speaking through you whether you feel like it or not. And you often won't feel like you have strength to keep serving. But you're going to serve with the strength that God provides. And how does he provide it? You step out in faith, and he blesses your effort with his power. So you have to keep praying, keep going, and not give up. And what, what, what this is saying is that as we, do, we can do, as we do it, we can do it as worship unto God. In verse 11, he says, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And many commentaries go on and on about how this is doxology that welled up in Peter's heart just thinking about all God's people using their gifts. That's the result. When we use our different gifts, your part, your part, your part, my part, we all use our different things that God's given us to contribute. All of a sudden, what's going to happen? Worship to God from other people who are going to be coming to know Jesus and all of a sudden springing to life and joining the party. And that's really the story of our church. We've seen over 20,000 decisions for Christ because all of us use our different skills. And that's an amazing thing to think about. Worship to God and it's happening as we all use our different gifts we've been given. All right, so your prayers, your people, your part, and then finally, your pain. We can diligently approach our pain as though our life depends on it. The reality is, church, we're going to experience painful days following Jesus. J. Vernon McGee put it this way, the Christian life is a banquet, but it's no picnic. I like that. Because it is a banquet. And one of my favorite illustrations used in the Bible for the church is this idea of the table and the feast and the party. As I think about Fresh Life Church most fondly, I think about the setting of the prodigal son's return home. The fatted calf has been slain, and the robe's being put on his shoulder, and the ring is on his finger, and there's dancing and great joy. 
That will always be what our church feels like so long as lost people continue to come to Christ. And that will always be what's happening as long as we keep fighting for this to be a church focused on those stranded in sin finding life and liberty in Christ. And if we'll keep fighting for, to hear the music, this will always be a, a festive banquet. This will always be a celebratory occasion. We'll always have reason to celebrate the Lazarus that just came out of the grave last Sunday. And now we get to talk about the grave clothes. And now we get to be on journey with people, covering a multitude of sins as they figure out what it means to unwrap those grave clothes. That's the church. So yes, it is a, a banquet. But McGee's right. It's no picnic. It's tough sledding sometimes. Difficult days. Now, follow Jesus, hard days. Don't follow Jesus, hard days. If life's going to be hard no matter what, I'd rather do the hard stuff with Jesus. You, you live your whole life out without trusting Jesus, you're still going to experience hard things. You're still going to age. People you love are still going to get sick and die. You're still going to lose your girlish or boyish figure one day. The reality of mortality is pretty sad and pretty bleak and pretty uh, full of despair, even for the most optimistic among us. So. He's saying it's going to be hard following Jesus, partially because life's just hard, but also because as we follow Christ, there will be persecution. And there will be things to come. And he was speaking to people who knew that well. The church in the Roman Empire was about to embark upon 200 years of horrendous suffering that all began with the burning of the city of Rome. And so it's no mistake that he says, don't think it's strange concerning this fiery trial that's come to try you. For as the fires blazed through Rome, so really began a period of over two centuries of suffering marked by fire. And he says, when it comes, don't think something strange has happened. Why? Because it's human nature to think something strange has happened. When we experience hardship, trial, or pain in any way, it's natural to think these two things. No one has ever suffered like I'm suffering right now, and there is no way through this. And those are both lies from the devil. For there is no suffering we can face that's not common to man. There is no suffering that you've gone through that God hasn't got other Jesus followers through for the past 2,000 years. There's not a single sickness or death, or there's not a single kind of pain or grief that you've gone through that Jesus didn't first experience for us. For he has been tested in every single way as we are, yet without temptation, giving into that temptation. So when we feel like something strange is happening, no one's ever hurt like I'm hurting. That's not true. God's got other people through it. He's going to get you through it. And you'll think there's no way through this. That's false. This is a valley. Keep moving. You'll move through the valley. You don't, you don't stop in the valley. We're going to move through the valley. And in the midst of the valley, God's up to something. God does some of his best work in the midst of the deepest valleys. I like how the message translation puts verse 12, 12 and 13. When it says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. I did it again, didn't I? It's a different translation. Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. How great is that? I think the easiest thing to doubt in pain is the sovereignty of God. But he says, don't think God's not on the job. He's working right now. And then he says, look at this, instead, be glad that you are in the very thick of what Christ experienced. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around 
the corner. You can't quit now. Glory's just around the corner. You see, he's up to something in your life. What is he saying? He's saying it's dark now, but dawn is coming. There's light. You got to fight to see what's around the corner. And part of that is the glory in you. When Christ is revealed, that's the, that's the key. Christ is going to be revealed to the whole world. Yes, the end is coming. But Christ is also going to be revealed in your character as you lean into God in the midst of your pain. Because pain, it verifies, clarifies, but also purifies. It pure, it's a spiritual refining process. He purifies us like gold that comes out better after it goes into the smelter. We get to come out Bruno Mars style. We get to come out 24 karat. Yes, it's a beautiful thing. We, we go in impure, and we come out with the dross scraped off. We come out refined by the fire. And that's what we can take to the bank in the midst of the difficulties. I wrote this down. Maybe it'll encourage you. Pain takes off the training wheels. In the hard things, it allows us to, to, to receive new levels, to be trusted with more. Paul the Apostle wrote 13 books of the Bible, and 10 of them came after his thorn in the flesh, meaning God didn't trust him with the kind of revelation that he would put into the majority of his letters until he first faced the most difficult thing that caused him to pray three times for God to take it away from him. But God said, if I take away the tribulation, I won't be able to trust you with the revelation. It was the pain that let God take off the training wheels. So when we lean into the hardship, when we lean into the difficulty and don't fight it, God will be able to use our hands to do great healing. I think about Paul getting bit by a serpent in his hand. And not many days later, him being able to be used to heal a sick man's father with those same hands. So when the enemy strikes us, what he has no idea is he's actually helping God unlock new levels of usefulness inside of us. And I dare you to believe it, that your hardship today is preparing you for greatness tomorrow. What do we do in the meantime? We wait expectantly. I wait for the Lord, Psalm 30, 130, verse 6, more than those who wait for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. Diligence is due. Due diligence. Diligence is due. If you got to do, 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 do diligence. You wouldn't buy a house without taking some time to check out the foundation. Is there a mold problem? You don't want to rush into that buy sell being closed out. You want to figure stuff out. You want to do your due diligence before the closing, right? Yeah. I mean, when you're hiring somebody, you want to do, do your references and call the references references. My friend became an FBI chaplain. He was going to be there to encourage the FBI agents when they, you know, I mean, think about the hardship they face, the traumatic stuff. It's real hard on marriages a lot. And so he signed up to be an FBI chaplain. He said he was getting calls from people he went to school with in kindergarten that were getting calls from the Federal Bureau of Investigation. They were doing their due diligence on him. What kind of a kindergarten student was he? Did he eat his paste? It's like, what? Did he, did he double back on his carabiner, right? I, I don't know. See how I connected all that. All right, so the due diligence needs to be done before the closing date. All of our diligence is due, verse 7, because the end of all things is near. We should approach this life knowing there's a closing day coming for this life, a closing day coming for this planet. So our diligence is due now because a closing date 
is coming in Jesus' name. Let's keep calm and carry on. Father, we thank you for the power and the promise of the return of Christ, for the power and the promise of this life ending. And our response should be to be calm and focused. Because when there's only a little bit of time left on the clock, the players on the court need to engage more carefully, to not check out, but to, but to clock in, to give our full hearts to put those numbers up on the scoreboard. And I pray, God, that you would help us to focus on your definition of success, not this Earth's definition of success, not even our definition of success, but what you would count as success. We know that pleasing you means more than anything else. And what pleases you the most is reaching hurting people and us loving each other and creating the kind of community where this church really can rise up and change the world. And I pray that for every single one of us to engage in the kind of prayer and community and the kind of using our gifts and responding well to pain. And I want to pray now for anybody who's come in today who's who's hurting, who feels like they're going through it, who is feeling very much surprised by these fiery trials and needs to remember that glory is just around the corner. If as we're praying with heads, heads bowed and eyes closed, if you would be honest enough to say, hey, I'm really hurting right now. This, this fiery trial is really, really taking my breath away. And I need God's help to, to continue to keep going. If that's you, I'm just grabbing, could I ask you just raise up a hand I could, so I could pray for you? God, I pray for all these who are responding with humility and vulnerability. And I pray for a miracle right now to happen inside their lives. I pray for the richness of your blessing to fall upon them. And I pray for a perspective shift to take place that they would see things differently, that they would see themselves as you see them, being refined by that fire so that they may come forth as gold. Pray if nothing else changes in their lives, something would so drastically change in their heart that they would now see this thorn in the flesh differently. They would see it as a precious privilege to suffer as a follower of Jesus. Thank you for trusting them with this trial.